Hey, what's up? It's your boy Anthony Cass Clark, and welcome to another edition of Thoughts Over Coffee Daily. Good people of the world, what is up? I hope that all is well, all is well on this side. Man, sorry guys, missed another day. Very busy day. Didn't get to record a podcast, but I am back. Oh, big announcement, big announcement. Add some air horns here. Post reduction. I don't know if. I don't know if air horns will appear right there, but I'm hoping they will. But the look of the time, it probably won't. So I'll just do it with my mouth. Spotify. We are now on Spotify. Thoughts Over Coffee Daily is available on Spotify. Spotify is actually my choice of streaming service. Uh, For a while, I was paying for both Spotify and Apple Music, but now I strictly use Spotify for music and uh, the podcast platform is not bad at all. So I listen to a few podcasts on Spotify also. So if you already pay your monthly Spotify premium or you have the free version, check it out. Thoughts Over Coffee Daily is on Spotify now and I'm very happy about that. Thank you to Spotify for allowing Thoughts Over Coffee Daily onto your platform. So moving on into the podcast for the day, last night. While I was in my late night work session, burning the midnight oil, as they say, I came across this wonderful TED Talk by, his name is Curtis Wall Street Carroll. Now, if you've never heard of Curtis Wall Street Carroll, he is an inmate at the San Quentin Prison up in California. Um, so, let me, let me, this is going to sound really weird. I don't mean to big up San Quentin because it, it is a prison. Uh, but big up to the creatives in San Quentin because apparently, and I guess you have to give it to San Quentin. San Quentin is very open when it comes to like their programs and things like that for inmates uh, because it's very important for inmates to do things that are that are creative and also give them the, the ability to work on themselves so that they can be productive members of society when they re-enter into the world. So, San Quentin does a lot of these different programs. They have TED Talks. Um, they have a podcast from inside of the prison, which is really cool. Um, they, they have a lot of different things that inmates can participate in and actually be a part of the new world. Uh, you have people doing life in prison that are actually productive members of society from the inside. So, shout out to those people. Shout out to all the inmates at San Quentin that are changing their lives and changing their ways and actually uh, becoming productive members of society. So shout out to them, man. Shout out to them. But so Curtis Wall Street Carroll is an inmate at San Quentin. Curtis Wall Street Carroll has rose, uh, rose or raised. He has rose to somewhat notoriety online being that his name is Curtis Wall Street Carroll. Curtis learned how to read at 20 years old inside of prison. Inside of prison. Prison. Not only did he learn how to read at 20 years old, he also learned how to trade stocks in prison. Now, I'm not sure of Curtis's situation as far as internet access and things like that, but what I do know is it's limited and he does not have quite the resources that we have on the outside. So being that he does not have those resources, I can only imagine how difficult it was for him to learn how to read, not only read, 
but to trade stocks in prison. Curtis comes from a, a long background, and I won't give you all the details because I would love for you to get it from Curtis directly. So, Curtis is a financial literacy master. Uh, he teaches financial literacy through his program. I believe it's called mm, Flea. I don't know. Nah, you gotta check it out for yourself. I don't want to. I don't want to screw it up. So, before I screw anything up, let Curtis tell you himself. Curtis Wall Street Carroll. I was 14 years old inside of a bowling alley, burglarizing an arcade game. And upon exiting the building, a security guard grabbed my arm, so I ran. I ran down the street, and I jumped on top of a fence. And when I got to the top, the weight of 3,000 quarters in my book bag pulled me back down to the ground. So when I came to, the security guard was standing over top of me, and he said, next time, you little punk, steal something you can carry. (laughs) I was taking a juvenile hall. And when I was released into the custody of my mother, the first words my uncle said was, how'd you get caught? I said, man, the book bag was too heavy. He said, man, you weren't supposed to take all the quarters. I said, man, they were small. What am I supposed to do? (laughs) And 10 minutes later, he took me to burglarize another arcade game. We needed gas money to get home. That was my life. I grew up in Oakland, California, with my mother and members of my immediate family addicted to crack cocaine. My environment consisted of living with family, friends, and homeless shelters. Oftentimes, dinner was served in bread lines and soup kitchens. The big homie told me this. He said, money rules the world and everything in it. And in these streets, money is king. And if you follow the money, it'll lead you to the bad guy or the good guy. Soon after, I committed my first crime. And it was the first time that I was told that I had potential and felt like somebody believed in me. Nobody ever told me that I could be a lawyer, doctor, or engineer. I mean, how was I supposed to do that? I couldn't read, write, or spell. I was illiterate. So I always thought crime was my way to go. And then one day, I was talking to somebody, and he was telling me about this robbery that we can do. And we did it. The reality was was that I was growing up in the strongest financial nation in the world, the United States of America, while I watched my mother stand in line at a blood bank to sell her blood for $40 just to try to feed her kids. She still has the needle marks on her arms to this day to show for that. So I never saw community. I never cared about my community. They didn't care about my life. Everybody there was doing what they was doing to take what they wanted. The drug dealers, the robbers, the blood bank. Everybody was taking blood money. So I got mine by any means necessary. I got mine. Financial literacy really did rule the world. And I was a child slave to it, following the bad guy. At 17 years old, I was arrested for robbery murder. And I soon learned that finances in prison rule more than they did on the streets. So I wanted in. One day, I rushed to grab the sports page of the newspaper so my cellie can read it to me. And I accidentally picked up the business section. And this old man said, hey, youngster, you pick stocks? And I said, what's that? He said, that's the place where white folks keep all their money. (laughs) And it was the first time that I had saw a glimpse of hope, 
a future. He gave me this brief description of what stocks were, but it was just a glimpse. I mean, how was I supposed to do it? I couldn't read, write, or spell. The skills that I had developed to hide my illiteracy no longer worked in this environment. I was trapped in a cage, prey among predators, fighting for freedom I never had. I was lost, tired, and I was out of options. So at 20 years old, I did the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. I picked up a book, and it was the most agonizing time of my life. Trying to learn how to read, the ostracizing from my family, the homies. It was rough, man. It was a struggle. But little did I know, I was receiving the greatest gifts I'd ever dreamed of. Self-worth, knowledge, discipline. I was so excited to be reading that I read everything I can get my hands on. Candy wrappers, clothing logos, street signs, everything. I was just reading stuff. Just reading stuff. I was so excited to know how to read and know how to spell. The homie came up and said, man, what you eating? I said, C-A-N-D-Y, candy. <laughs> he said, let me get some. I said, N-O, no. <laughs> it was awesome. I mean, I can actually now for the first time in my life read. The feeling that I got from it was amazing. And then at 22, feeling myself, feeling confident, I remember what the OG told me. So I picked up the business section of the newspaper. I wanted to find these rich white folks. So I looked for that glimpse. As I further my career in teaching others how to financially manage money and invest, I soon learned that I had to take responsibility for my own actions. True, I grew up in a very complex environment, but I chose to commit crimes. And I had to own up to that. I had to take responsibility for that, and I did. I was building a curriculum that could teach incarcerated men how to manage money through prison employments. Properly managing our lifestyle will provide transferable tools that we can use to manage money when we re-enter society, like the majority of people did who didn't commit crimes. Then I discovered that according to MarketWatch, over 60% of the American population has under $1,000 in savings. Sports Illustrated said that over 60% of NBA players and NFL players go broke. 40% of marital problems derive from financial issues. What the hell? <laughs> you mean to tell me that people work their whole lives buying cars, clothes, homes, and material stuff, but we're living check to check? How in the world were members of society going to help incarcerated individuals back into society if they couldn't manage their own stuff? We screwed. I needed a better plan. This is not going to work out too well. So I thought I now had an obligation to meet those on the path and help. And it was crazy because I now cared about my community. Wow, imagine that. I cared about my community. Financial illiteracy is a disease that has crippled minorities in the lower class in our society for generations and generations. And we should be furious about that. Ask yourselves this. How can 
of the American population be financially illiterate in a nation driven by financial prosperity. Our access to justice, our social status, living conditions, transportation, and food are all dependent on money that most people can't manage. It's crazy. It's an epidemic and a bigger danger to public safety than any other issue. According to the California Department of Corrections, over 70% of those incarcerated have committed or have been charged with money-related crimes, robberies, burglaries, fraud, larceny, extortion. And the list goes on. Check this out. A typical incarcerated person would enter the California prison system with no financial education, earn 30 cents an hour, over $800 a year, with no real expenses, and save no money. Upon his parole, he will be given $200 gate money and told, hey, good luck, stay out of trouble, don't come back to prison. With no meaningful preparation or long-term financial plan, what does he do? At 60, get a good job or go back to the very criminal behavior that led him to prison in the first place. You taxpayers, you choose. Well, his education already chose for him, probably. So how do we cure this disease? I co-founded a program that we call Financial Empowerment Emotional Literacy. We call it FEEL. And it teaches how do you separate your emotional decisions from your financial decisions. And the four timeless rules to personal finance. The proper way to save. Control your cost of living. Borrow money effectively and diversify your finances by allowing your money to work for you instead of you working for it. Incarcerated people need these life skills before we reenter society. You can't have full rehabilitation without these life skills. This idea that only professionals can invest and manage money is absolutely ridiculous. And whoever told you that is lying. A professional is a person who knows his craft better than most. And nobody knows how much money you need, have, or want better than you, which means you are the professional. Financial literacy is not a skill, ladies and gentlemen. It's a lifestyle. Financial stability is a byproduct of a proper lifestyle. A financially sound incarcerated person can become a taxpayer citizen. And a financially sound taxpayer citizen can remain one. This allows us to create a bridge between those people who we influence, family, friends, and those young people who still believe that crime and money are related. So let's lose the fear and anxiety for all the big financial words and all that other nonsense that you've been out there hearing. And let's get to the heart of what's been crippling our society from taking care of your responsibility to be better life managers. And let's provide a simple and easily to use curriculum that gets to the heart, the heart of what financial empowerment and emotional literacy really is. Now, if you sitting out here in the audience and you said, oh yeah, well that ain't me and I don't buy it, then come take my class. So I can show you how much money it costs you every time you get emotional. Thank you, guys. Thank you.
for that man, Curtis Wall Street Carroll. Man, this was really inspiring to me for a couple of reasons. For one reason being that Curtis himself is in a situation where he does not have the freedom that we have on the outside world, and he is still maximizing his abilities, his talents, and his gifts. Meanwhile, some of us on the outside are struggling to even accomplish what we want to accomplish simply because we cannot find the willpower or ambition to do so. So I think we it's necessary that we take a look at Curtis and take a take a page out of his book and, and apply it to our lives. Curtis didn't learn how to read till he was twenty years old. He didn't learn how to you know he didn't didn't know a basic function that we learn in kindergarten, first grade. You know, till he was a grown man, till he was twenty years old. And he still made the best out of his situation and it still is. So it was inspiring to me, man, to really just get up and do what I have to do so I can help others, so I can change the lives of my family, friends, close ones, loved ones. But um, I'm getting out of here, guys. It's late in the morning, so I'm going to upload this podcast. Hopefully, you guys enjoy it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Thoughts Over Coffee Daily. Thank you so much. As always, peace, blessings, cheers.